Okay, I found my announcements. <laughs> that was scary for a second. Sometimes you got to stay on the script. Today's one of those days. Um, so last week, we had mentioned that we had these prayer books um, in the lobby, and hopefully you saw those on your way in this morning. We know that we sold out of them, so we got a few of them. And if you weren't here to hear me talk about it, essentially, it's just a great companion to this series that we are in on prayer. And um, if you like audiobooks, the author reads it, and he does a really good job, so I highly recommend that as well if you are an audiobook person. Um, but we have those for you. We just want to make it easy for you if you are interested in um, reading and being inspired and encouraged some more. So those are on the back table, and um, we want you to have them. If you can't afford it, just take one. But if you can afford it, there are some ways for you to pay for them. There's a QR code that you can stand and scan and pay for it digitally. Or there's a little black box on the um, welcome table in the back, and you can throw cash or checks in that as well. Tonight is Ignite, and we, um, we are preparing for that this week. And I am super excited. So I really hope that you will be able to come back for that. For those of you that are watching online, I hope that you can come in tonight from 6 to 8 p.m. And Ignite is what we call our family meeting, and it is just kind of a chance to get an inside look at what's going on. But also, we share stories of how God is moving among us, and it is such a, an encouragement to me that I leave here. This is cheesy, but I'm all ignited. So that's why we call it Ignite. So fired up, fired up. Um, but we have child care for your kids in the form of a pajama and a popcorn party next door. And so you can just bring them in and start checking them in at about 5.50, 5.45, The sitters will be here and ready to receive your kids. So please come back tonight. We will meet here in the upstairs building. Kids will be um, downstairs. Um, in two Sundays from now, November 5th, right after church, we are going to be hosting a lunch, and um, that is for anyone that is newer to Brookview, and we don't really put a cap on that. We just, like, if it's five years and you've never been and you've never met us, we want to meet you, and there really is no agenda outside of sitting around tables and getting to know you and um and just doing life with you a little bit around a table and have conversation together. And so if you are interested in doing that, we would love it if you could pretty please RSVP for that on the Connect card that is on your seat this morning. Or if you're watching online, you can RSVP on the digital communication card as well. Connect card, that's what we're calling it. Um, that's it. I did it. Okay, yeah, I know, right? Thank you, thank you. Um, you know, in this series where we have been focusing on prayer, we have had, um, we've recited the Lord's Prayer together mm -hmm. as part of our service every, every Sunday. And so this morning we get to do it right now. So would you stand up and we are going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Does anyone else think Jen looks kind of professional today? I know, I know. So I said that this morning and I got scolded. Because that's not the look she's going for. So if you thought she did, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I really set that up badly. Um, okay, picture the scene with me. A woman gets thrown face first at Rabbi Jesus' feet. A few minutes ago, she was giddy eagerly rushing to her lover, even though on her wedding day she would have never imagined that she'd be the kind of person that would have an affair. But life has not gone how she imagined, and today it's blowing up. The priest rushed into her bedroom, tore her out of bed, marched her down the road, and hurled her at the rabbi's feet. Rabbi, the law of Moses says to stone her. Now what do you say? It's a trap. There's no right answer. Jesus, Jesus can't just denounce the law, but, but stoning the woman? Her mind races. How, how long have the priests known? Who told them? It's almost time to get the kids from school. Who's going to get them? Oh, God, they might, they might bring them here. I hope they don't bring them here. How did my life come to this? And what does it feel like when they stone you? Jesus says nothing. He stoops down and writes in the dirt. When his silence had hung there long enough, he straightened up and said to them, any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now it's just the woman at the lowest moment of her life, and the rabbi. And when she looks into his eyes, she sees nothing but pure love looking back. And she feels strange feelings. For a moment like this, she feels very strange feelings. Grace and hope and peace begin to wash over her. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. I love this story because of the way Jesus goes all ninja on the priest. I love this story because of the, the truth and the compassion in it. But I also love this story because in a sense, it's my story. Right, like more than once, I have, I have completely blown it and I have felt waves of shame. And when I've looked into the face of Jesus, I have discovered love. I mean, most of us, more than, than one moment, we've had more than one moment that has felt like this. Moments we've discovered the defense and the grace of Jesus. And many of us have been profoundly shaped by those moments. And in those times, you guys, what happens for me at least is my love for Jesus just explodes in me. It's just, it's so tangible. So, like, for three decades, I've, I've had several different, like, mountaintop experiences with Jesus. And 
thankfully, not all of them revolve around shame, right? I've had, I've had the camp high. Anybody ever had a camp high? Oh, yeah. Nothing better than the camp high. I've, I've had moments where, where God has rescued me from something. I've had moments where suddenly I see something new, something that was there before, but I didn't see it. As, as Tim Mackey would say, suddenly I could see the huckleberries. But I've, I've had plenty of valley moments too, moments of, of loss or fear or anxiety, moments of desperation where life was just crumbling, moments that served to awaken me to my need of Jesus. Have you been there? But here's what I'll tell you. Most of my days are not mountaintops and they're not valleys. Most of my days are just like humdrum, regular, ordinary, boring, everyday days. Days that the challenges don't feel like they exceed my capacity. Days that I don't feel like I have a lot of needs. Mundane, everyday days. And the real challenge is walking closely with Jesus on those days. The real challenge is living out faithfulness in the ordinary. And in a sense, I think that it mirrors the challenges of, of marriage. I mean, when you, when, you think about, when you think about it, our story with God, it, it, kind of, it kind of is like a marriage. I mean, God, when you th- this is the metaphor the Bible uses over and over again, right? God creates humanity to live with him in the garden, in his presence, receiving his love and returning it happily ever after. But the whole thing hinges on faithfulness. And and the humans become unfaithful, and it destroys the relationship. Love, trust, and intimacy are are lost, and yet God refuses to give up. Like Like a wounded groom, desperate for renewal with his bride, he refuses to give up. She continues to be unfaithful, and he is constantly attempting to woo her back. And the hinge point of the story is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The wound and the distance opened by infidelity is mended by love. A love that refuses to give up, a a love that lays itself down. And the invitation then, every moment, is for us to learn to live within that love. On On the final night of his life, Jesus said to his followers, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And the final picture of the biblical story is, is, is not a catastrophic apocalypse. It, it, it's a wedding banquet. God united to his bride for all eternity. Human unfaithfulness overcome by divine faithfulness. But the question remains, like, how do we, how do we remain in that love in the here and now? I mean, love is easiest at the beginning of a relationship, and it's easiest at the very end. I mean, the butterflies of the first date, right? Continual moments of discovery, the infatuation, the fascination, the crush. You guys, I remember the first few months of dating Jen, and she would be like, so yeah, I need to run errands. Like, go to the bank in the craft store, and after that, I'm going to wrap Christmas presents, and then I'm going to do my dishes and vacuum my house. Want to come with me and do all of that with me? (laughs) And I was like, heck yeah, baby, I'm in. (laughs) Right? Anything to be together, right? Some of you have been there. Matt, you've been there. But after 26 years of marriage, (laughs) 
going to the craft store, it feels like hell on earth. <laughs> Even with my beloved. So thankfully, she has learned that it is a way better experience for her without me. And so I'm usually off the hook. Amen? Amen. Amen. So love comes easily at the beginning. That passionate infatuation, the honeymoon period. And love comes easy at the end when we realize that our loved one has limited time, right? That death is knocking at the door. In the past few years, Jen and I have, have both seen love at its end. Um, Jen's stepmom died of ALS in the middle of COVID. And Jen's dad was by her side. Like, he tenderly loved her and stood by her all the way to the end. And it was beautiful. And it wasn't, here's the thing. It wasn't like he had to force himself to do it. He was compelled. My dad walked my stepmom through Alzheimer's all the way to the end. Like, he only left her side and his home care when she was hospitalized. And she passed in March. But I watched a level of devotion in him that I did not even realize would be possible for him. Um, many of you know that I'm a, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of The Notebook. <laughs> that feels like it's not even G-rated. It's like, dang. So this story moves from like a sudden, passionate, volatile romance and I mean volatile, if you've seen the movie, to a, a mature, seasoned, steadfast kind of love. So after the twists and turns of unstable, unpredictable young love, the insanely good-looking Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, <laughs> they wrinkle and they plump into any other aged elderly couple. And they're... Their, their love matures into something unshakable. And they're in a hospital room. And they're both nearing the end. Right? And he lies down next to her one final time, wraps his arm around her, around her inter, interlaces his fingers with hers, and they fall asleep for good together, dying, but still deeply in love, still holding one another. You guys, there is a reason that this movie has stirred like millions of hearts. And for me, it is not the volatile infatuation part at the beginning. That part of the story gets kind of annoying, actually. <laughs> but the devotion of the groom to his bride with Alzheimer's is breathtaking. And it, it's the part of the story that I think stirs in many of us sort of this God-given longing. I think we all ache for enduring intimacy and companionship. But if you've watched the movie, you know how the producer goes about telling the story. It goes straight from the infatuation, like crazy infatuation stage, to the dying stage. It completely skips all of the life in the middle. And it's obvious why. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to watch a movie about ordinary days. Right, you know why? Steady, faithful love is boring. 
The exciting part of love comes at the beginning and it comes at the end. It's effortless in the infatuation stage and in the honeymoon phase. And love comes as easy as breathing for the elderly couple who are decades into mature love that's been aged to perfection like a fine wine. But all of those years in between, love in the middle of career building and raising kids and establishing a life and and facing trials and hardships, those are the long years when love has to be fought for. Those are the years when love becomes mature. Steady, faithful love is far from exciting on most days. But its fruit is incredible. Right? To see a, a, an elderly couple madly in love. Have you seen it? Like there's something so heartwarming about it. And something in us that screams, I want that. Like what do I have to do so I can have that. I mean, it's the kind of love that I think the disciples saw between Jesus and the Father when he prayed. And they wanted it. So one day they said, teach us the kind of prayer, Jesus, that leads to that. And out came the familiar words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it turns out, That prayer was not actually original to Jesus. He was was adopting the opening line of a common daily Jewish prayer called the Kaddish. One of the three esteemed familiar prayers recited daily in the temple. But Jesus is adapting it to make it more personal. So the Kaddish opens with this. Magnified and sanctified may his great name be. Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You guys, that is, that's like very similar. Like in college, Jesus, plagiarism. <laughs> it's very similar, but it's a lot more personal. The Kaddish continues. In the world he created by his will, may he establish his, his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days. The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is taking a formal prayer recited daily at the temple, and he's adapting it to make it more personal. It's kind of like he's saying, pray to God more intimately than you think you're allowed to, because prayer is about intimacy and love. But also, center your life according to the ancient rhythms of daily prayer, because consistent faithfulness is the soil that produces mature love. Consistent faithfulness is where you discover the deepest treasures. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor that was killed for resisting the Nazis, he had a famous line in one of his wedding ceremonies. He said to the couple at the altar, Today you are young and very much in love, and you think your love can sustain your marriage. It can't. Let your marriage sustain your love. The, the emotion of affection is not going to be enough to sustain your marriage for a lifetime. But if you engage in healthy relational habits that create intimacy, your marriage itself will sustain your love. So my life with Jen started with an infatuation so powerful I would go to craft stores. <laughs> and then once we got married, like real life kicked in, right? Reality hit. And we had to struggle through all kinds of crud. We had, we had 
so misunderstandings. We had so much conflict, and the, the early years were crazy hard for us. But slowly over time, we, we've built a marriage that is sustaining our love. Like through tons of practice, we've gotten better at communicating. We've, we've learned to listen to each other. We've learned to trust each other. We're, we're learning to be patient and still and wait. And we've, we've built our marriage on several like guardrails and routines, things we almost never do and things we almost always do, like intentional structure to, to keep us moving in the right direction. And it's because many years ago, I, I, I got a, like a tangible vision of where I want my life to go. I don't know that this is very normal, but this is what happened. It's kind of cheesy, but it's real and it happened. I got this vision where I could see Jen and I together at the end of our life, and we're, we're very old. And in the vision, we're, we're sitting in rocking chairs on a porch somewhere. And she slides her wrinkled, leathery hand into mine, and we don't have to say anything. We just know. We have lived an extraordinary life together. We have, we have weathered the highs and the lows of life. We have raised kids through all the challenges of that. We have enjoyed grandkids. We have poured into a church community for decades and seen God do miracles in people's lives. We've endured scares and worked through tough seasons. We've felt the loss by this point in our life of friends and family that are now gone. So as we sit in the quiet on the porch, hand in hand, we know we've had a life filled with stunning peaks and agonizing valleys, but through it all, we've done it together. It's been a shared experience, and we've had each other. So that picture is like, it's compelling to me. And I, I want a love that lasts and matures. It's worth protecting. So we, we've built all kinds of structure into our life, stuff like in ministry. Neither of us will, will meet with the opposite sex somewhere where it's like alone, where we can't be seen. Like if I, if I meet a woman, which I will do all the time for ministry stuff, it will always be in a public place um, where, where what's happening can be seen. We don't take car rides with the opposite sex. We don't have meetings, none of that. Um, other stuff like we, we both have access to each other's phones and, and emails because we, don't want, we, we, we want to reduce the temptation of, of having a secret life, right? Because that would fight against our dream of mature love. And so we've established lots and lots of other guardrails. It's not the point. But it isn't primarily the stuff that we don't do. We've discovered deep, healthy relationships need regular, predictable connect points. So we've established lots of routines designed to help us stay connected. And I've talked about a lot of these over the years. Um, real quick, things like we take Mondays off together. And we try to be together on, the, on those days as much as we can. We go for, usually go for long walks on Mondays and other days of the week as well. Um, and you guys, I mean, over the 26 years that we've been married, uh, the, the amount of hours and miles that we have walked is ridiculous. I should have like some sort of podiatry problem, I think. <laughs> it's just kind of crazy when I think about it. Also, we're, we're fortunate enough, like this is not everybody, we're fortunate enough to, to both work from home, and so we usually eat lunch together. We try to eat dinner together with the kids as much as possible. We, we try to wind down together at night, usually in front of a TV show. Uh, every January, we go to Cannon Beach for a, a getaway, and, um, and we've done that for 20 years, just the two of us. 
There's a whole lot of other stuff. What, I, what I'm saying is our relationship would not have deepened like it has unless we were intentional about regular, predictable connect points. And, and this is no less true when it comes to walking with God. To remain in the love of Jesus, we need connect points. And, and I've discovered that regular, predictable routines with God are like really, really helpful. Um, things like being at church weekly. Way to go. Uh, things like being involved in evening life or ID groups. Things like reading scripture with regularity, journaling on it. Things like listening to worship music constantly. Things like consuming Christ-centered books and podcasts. Like over the years, I've come to discover that, that balanced rhythms for me are best. So what I'm saying is a mix of routines that include both community and solitude. I need, I need time connecting to God in community, like with others. But I also need time connecting with God by myself. Like if all of my time connecting with God happens with other people, and I don't, have any, I don't make any space for God when I'm alone, something's off. But if all of my time with God happens alone, and I don't have any regular time with other people, same thing. Something's gotten out of whack. Like I really, I really need both. And what I'm saying is, I, I long for uh, like a, just a free-flowing love relationship with God. But in order to have that, I need built-in structures in my life that foster it. And recently, I, I've realized that my, my prayer rhythms are not what they need to be. They're too unstructured, right? And like, I pray, but not nearly as regularly or as deeply as I'd like. What, this is why we're in this series, because I think many of you are in the same boat. I'm hearing it from you guys. And I've been hearing it for the last year or so. And, and while I've worked hard to build several spiritual rhythms into my life, none of those rhythms really revolve primarily around prayer. Prayer has been almost exclusively, for me, just kind of a spontaneous thing. Like, it happens when it happens. And so Jen and I have added a bit of prayer structure to our lives. Several months ago, I came across Tyler Staten's teaching on prayer rhythms, and it resonated with Jen, and it resonated with me. And so we have created a tiny bit, just a tiny bit of structure for prayer in our days. Now, I still have tons of free-flowing, spontaneous prayers, but I have found a little bit, like a modicum of structure is super helpful. And here's what convinced me to do this. For centuries before Jesus, Hebrew tradition included a daily prayer rhythm. Then Jesus observed a daily prayer rhythm. Then the earliest Christians observed a daily prayer rhythm. So let me, let me kind of walk through these. First, Hebrew tradition included a prayer rhythm. So the culture and the people that prepared the way for Jesus had a practice, a morning, midday, and evening prayer practice. Like, Many of you are familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Remember what it was that got him in hot water? While living as an exile in Babylon, Daniel defied Babylonian law because he kept kneeling to pray three times a day in front of his Jerusalem-facing window. Right? He lived by a daily prayer rhythm, and he wouldn't stop just to fit into the culture. He wouldn't stop even if that rhythm broke Babylonian law, and it gets him thrown into a lion's den. The psalmist, expressing the practice of all God's people, writes, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. So, 
Hebrew tradition included a daily prayer rhythm, but also Jesus himself observed a daily prayer rhythm. Like every one of the Gospels contains descriptions of Jesus withdrawing from his activity for set times of prayer. Now, not every reference to Jesus in prayer was was according to a fixed time, like not at all. For example, it was not customary to stay up all night on a moonlit prayer hike. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus prayed spontaneously a lot as well. But he also prayed according to a fixed daily rhythm. Scholars argue that according that, that the gospel evidence suggests that Jesus prayed according to the temple rhythm three times a day, observing the same morning, midday, and evening prayer rhythm that we see in Daniel and in the Psalms. In fact, several prayer references of Jesus in the gospels just fall right into that category. Uh, New, New Testament theologian Scott McKnight writes, Jesus prayed within the sacred rhythms of Israel and he knew firsthand their formative influence. Tyler Staten writes, Jesus prayed spontaneously and routinely, alone and with others, pouring out his emotion in his own words and guided by the Psalms at fixed hours in the temple. While Jesus encouraged his disciples to pray with great intimacy informally, he also modeled for them the value of formal prayers at fixed times. To Jesus, this was not an either-or proposition. It was both and. And that's not to say, okay, that if, if we've neglected like one or the other, that we should feel shame or, or anything close to it. It's to say Jesus observed a daily prayer rhythm. That's all I'm saying. Okay, and finally, the earliest Christians observed a daily prayer rhythm. Like the apostles, they picked up right where their rabbi left off, praying in the fashion that Jesus taught them. I mean, you look at the beginning of the scene in Acts 3. It says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. What are they doing? They're going to the temple like usual, like they had done with their rabbi. They're going up to the temple for midday prayers, following the daily prayer rhythm. And along the way, they encounter a man that is lame from birth, and they heal him. And he starts leaping and jumping and praising God. And he, he goes right on with them into the temple to do what? To pray at the fixed time for prayer. But they get interrupted because the crowd recognizes that this, this man is the former lame beggar. So Peter and John stop to address the crowd that's forming at the temple and they proclaim Jesus and the resurrection, which gets them arrested. So in Acts 4, They get discharged from prison, and it says, verse 23, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now think about this scene for a second. Have you ever wondered how the apostles were able to gather scattered Christ followers for emergency prayer meetings so quickly in a world without email and cell phones? The most likely explanation is that those people were already gathered for prayer at set points during the day. And you think about some of the most famous stories in the book of Acts, like a ton of crazy stuff that God did that just flowed right out of their normal, everyday prayer rhythm, their daily prayers. In Acts 2, right? The the flaming tongues of the Holy Spirit descended. When? Well, while the believers were gathered for morning prayer at 9 a.m., In Acts 3, Peter and John performed the the first miracle after the resurrection on the way to midday prayer at 3 in the afternoon. In Acts 10, Peter received that famous vision 
that the gospel was not just for Jewish people, but for the entire world. The thing that has changed the world during his normal midday prayer time. The family of Jesus has expanded now to all nations. And even in Acts 2, in that famous description of the earliest church, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The word prayer here in this passage is actually plural. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and more literally to the prayers. The concept is, is reflect, that concept is reflected in many translations like the message, which reads this way. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Like throughout the biblical story and into the early church, a daily prayer rhythm was an anchor for the God-seeking life. But that changed in time. You go, well, why? That, that's it's really not still the thing. Well, about 300 years after Jesus, through centuries of brutal waves of persecution, the, the gospel was firmly planted in the Roman Empire. Thank you. I'm a man, and I like to talk about the Roman Empire. It's been firmly established in my family, and I can't help it. So, despite the reality that it could cost them their homes, their livelihoods, their lives, Roman citizens began following Jesus of Nazareth by the droves. And somehow, this like ground-up movement driven mostly by the poor had firmly embedded itself in an empire of wealth and violence. Okay, so, so more than 300 years after Jesus in the 4th century, Roman Emperor Constantine looked around and he goes, okay, this isn't something to fight against. I got to use it, right? And he not only ended the persecutions, but he made Christianity the official religion of the empire. He poured tons of, of resources into the church and he elevated leaders to positions of great power. And for the first time in history, Christians went from being a persecuted minority to an empowered majority. And the church buddied up with wealth and prestige and political power, and much of the way of Jesus was lost. Almost overnight, the church lost its saltiness. And you know what else the church lost? Its taste for prayer. Like attending the mass became the primary connect point of people to God. Religious services performed while the crowds spectated. And life with Jesus for the average person looked nothing like it had in previous generations. Now there were groups of Christians that were watching all of this and they were mourning what was, what was lost. They mourned the simplicity of community and, and of prayer. And so they started forming monasteries all over the place. And the monastic movement was born. It just like exploded. Places of residence for any common people who wanted to walk with Jesus. People seeking refuge from the corruption of the church. And, and guess what those communities almost always reinstated? A daily prayer rhythm to anchor life each day. And so I wonder, what if they were really onto something? I mean, for the Hebrews before Jesus for Jesus himself, for Jesus' earliest followers, for the persecuted church prior to Constantine and the monastic communities that followed, each day was anchored by morning, midday, and evening prayers. You guys, what if they really were onto something? What if this is something that would be like a real benefit to you and to me? What if this is something that you and I could really use to 
to anchor ourselves. Now, let me ask you something that I don't, maybe you haven't really considered. What anchors your day right now? Like, what anchors your day? Coffee? <laughs> so good. Coffee. Uh, we, we live in a world that's relentlessly trying to shape us into its mold. The world trying to tell us what to spend our time on, our money on, our anxiety on. A world that, that tells us what the good life looks like, and it tells us what we need to do to go get it. But it turns out that that way, it leads to a lot of anxiety and stress and anger and insecurity and inadequacy. And that way is coming at you. It is coming at you from the moment you wake up until the moment you lay your head on the pillow. So think about your current rhythms. What anchors your day right now? Coffee's good, but I don't know that coffee will do it. Too much coffee will increase uh, agitation and anxiety, actually. <laughs> but not, not the amount you're drinking, I can tell. <laughs> like, what are the anchors your day right now? Is it whatever, whatever workday demands pop up? Is it the constant buzz of notifications on your phone or your email box? Is it the days marked off until the next time your, your travel begins and you go on a trip where you can blow off steam? Something sets the daily rhythm of your life. Whatever that is, I think you owe it to yourself to ask some questions about it. Like, is whatever that is, is it making me whole? Does it love me or does it just want to control me? Is it, tru is it truly concerned for my deepest well-being? Is it trying to manipulate me or, or sell me something? Is it, is it shaping me into the best version of myself or feeding my dark side? Or just even this, is it leaving me alive or is it leaving me exhausted? Because whatever you anchor yourself on, it's forming you into its image. So what is it for you? What if, like the ancients, you and I found a way to anchor ourselves on Jesus? What if we could recapture some ancient practices that actually bring freedom? What if, what if prayer isn't just prayer, but, but in a sense, it's a form of rebellion, like a resistance movement against the pressure of culture? What if a, a commitment to faithfulness in prayer is not about becoming like a devout, legalistic, super-religious person? What if it's just a quiet rebellion, a free choice to live our lives ordered by different loves, different values, a life surrendered to the way of Jesus, not the demands and values of a highly broken culture. I mean, if your day isn't anchored on prayer, what's it anchored on? Is that thing leaving you alive or is it leaving you exhausted? And this morning, I, I want to introduce an idea that we're going to kind of unpack a little bit for the next few weeks. And I want to invite you guys to, to join Jen and I in an ancient prayer practice that's been amazing for us. Just the simple daily rhythm that goes like this. Okay, in the morning, pray the Lord's Prayer. At midday, pray for the lost. And in the evening, pray gratitude. And like I said, we'll unpack how this might look a lot more in weeks to come. Today's just kind of an introduction to the concept. So I realize we're going we're gonna to need... We need to go much, much deeper with this, but let, let's think briefly about what, what this might look like. What if you were to start your day with God praying through the, the, the Lord's Prayer? 
You start your day with God, praying through the Lord's Prayer. And by that, I don't just mean like reciting it. I do mean that, but I also mean letting those words thematically guide you through like various movements of prayer. Like our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then just stop there and remember that the, the God you're talking to before you proceed to the next thing. Like, what is he like? God is relentless in love. He's the one whose mercy is ever being poured out. God is the one who loves you, who, pursu- who pursues you. God is the one who wills your deepest flourishing. He's trustworthy and he's kind and he's good. He is my father who loves me more than I can comprehend, but he's also our father who, who, who makes, and that makes those that I interact with like siblings. It means every person I lock eyes with today is loved by him, no matter their flaws or their failures, just like me. They are my brothers and my sisters. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then begin to think about parts of, of your world that need this. Where is somebody being mistreated? Where is their injustice? Where is someone hurting or broken or ashamed or hopeless? Anywhere God's kingdom of love and peace is lask, lacking, ask for it to come. Your kingdom come to that thing, to that person, Lord. And we'll talk much much more next week about praying the Lord's Prayer, but I think, I think you see what I'm saying. You can allow one line to just kind of send you into that theme. And if you have time, you can work through each theme. And by the way, you may not have time for all of that. This does not have to take an hour. Some of you, if you're lo- looking at this going, I don't have time for that, you know. <laughs> you, you can do this in just a few minutes. You really can. And then at midday, pray for the lost. Um, I want, to, I want to invite you guys right now to just close your eyes for a second. I want you to picture yourself midday, mid-work day. So picture this space where you normally are, whether for you that means you're sitting at a desk or you're driving a truck or you're running an open house or you're caring for patients or calming a classroom or raising children. But whatever that space is for you, picture yourself there. And for a moment at midday, Imagine yourself escaping the workflow of the workday for just a minute. Could be for a, a moment of contemplative silence at your desk or a short walk around the block outside your office building or just an escape into that one holy stall in the restroom. But you pause and you remember that this kingdom everyone is so feverishly building, the one that they're willing their bodies and brains into a few more hours of productive focus isn't the one that will stand. It isn't the one that will last. So you slip away for just a few few minutes because you have to. Because if you don't, you will forget about what God is up to. And you'll start buying into the same lie as most of the rest of the world, that this temporary kingdom is all that there is, and you are nothing more than the sum total of all you do and produce. So you need to redirect your thoughts, your affections, the center of your being, so that you keep what's real and most important in focus. I mean, how might that, how might your perspective shift over time if you pause briefly every midday to pray? Nothing long or complicated, just something like, Jesus, you're the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. Jesus, may my heart be broken for what breaks yours and may my life overflow with your compassion. You know, I pray to you for Mike and Hannah and Skylar and Ashley that you would go in pursuit of them. And Jesus, would you send me to them in pursuit also in response to my own prayers? 
I mean, how might that alter your afternoon or over the course of weeks or months? How might it shift your heart and attention? How might it change the people that you're passing your days with? So you can open your eyes. And then in the evening, pray gratitude. Again, it doesn't need to take an hour. A minute, two, five, ten, whatever you got. Because the deal is, we, we, what, what happens normally is we, we, we tend to bring the garbage of the day home with us. Right? And, and, and it's not that we want to. We just, we just do. So what if instead of spending your commute home like stewing, what if instead of reliving that one unpleasant conversation or stressing about how you're going to handle that, that situation that came up, what if instead of reliving how you were devalued or wishing you had gotten more done on your to-do list, what if, you, what if you found a seat on the bus or you gripped your steering wheel or you held the handlebars of your bike or you laid your head on your pillow at night and you just named whatever you could think of to be grateful to God for in, in that day? I mean, how might that change your, your level of, of stress and your emotions? How might it impact your perspective over weeks and months? And, and here's what I'll tell you guys. Jen and I have been doing this rhythm since early summer. And for me, it hasn't gone all that well. You're like, you're trying to get us to do it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's been kind of hard because um, it's not normal. It's new. And new things and new habits are, are hard to form. And so mostly it's kind of been a series of fits and starts. And I'm going to tell you something. I have not been perfectly consistent every day. I've missed a, I've missed a lot of stuff. The midday and the evening are especially hard. So here's what I'm doing. I'm starting to set an alarm. I'm like in the morning, I go ahead and do the, the Lord's Prayer. I, like in the morning, I can remember, remember that. The day doesn't get too far away from me before I do that. And then I look at my day and I go, what is going to be the best time for me to have a midday prayer and, and, and an evening prayer? And I set my phone alarm to remind me in those times. It's been super helpful. Um, but as I keep at this, it's going better and better and better. And here's what's happening. I'm finding myself anchored in Jesus. And I'm starting to pray a lot more spontaneously as well. Like the spontaneous stuff is just becoming more automatic. Like when I feel anxious or I feel something, the first response is instead of mulling over the anxiety is to start talking to God about it. It's becoming automatic. And I've also kind of started enjoying silence. Like in my car, I used to almost be addicted to noise. It was like the moment I got in my car, I had to turn on sports radio which was a little depressing when the Mariners got knocked out. And then, or I was turning on music, I mean, even worship music, but I had, I had to have something. Right now, I've just discovered I'm getting in my car and I'm like really enjoying silence. Just time with my thoughts and time with God in the quiet. And, and I have a tendency, this is embarrassing to admit, but I have a tendency to slip into sort of this transactional kind of relationship with God. It's like, okay, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? And here's what I want you to do for me, God. And that's it. What do you want me to do for you, God? And here's what I want you to do for me, God. And lately, I'm just enjoying more time, like, in his presence, being with him. Like, no to-do lists for him and for me. It's just peaceful, and it's good. And you guys, I'm starting to, like, love it. 
It's making me feel whole in fresh ways. Now, I want to say something. I am absolutely not telling you what you have to do to be a good Christian. Not at all. God will not love you any less if you never do any of this. Amen? Amen. But I think the great invitation of Jesus is ongoing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Love is easiest at the beginning and at the end of a relationship. The test is all the ordinary days in the middle. And I don't know if like a morning, midday, and evening prayer rhythm is for you, but if it isn't, like what is? What anchors your day? What if learning to remain in the love of Jesus, what if it requires just, just a tiny bit of structure? Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your kindness that is just forever flowing toward us. And I thank you that this is an, an invitation of opportunity. It's not, it's not something that we, that we should feel ashamed of or, or inadequate about. Learning to pray and developing new habits, it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy for any of us. But Jesus, you're inviting us to learn how to remain in your love. And I pray, I pray that in this season of our church, more and more and more of us would begin to experience that. And if we need a little bit more structure, would you help us develop it? Would you guide us along the way? Would you continue to give us grace when we forget about it or we don't do it or we struggle with it? But would you help us keep at it and keep at it and keep at it? The way that a, the way that a couple going through a hard time in marriage has to just keep at it. Because in the end, that mature love, that's a treasure. So God, help us. Help us discover that.